Good morning. My name is Art Cash, and I'm excited to talk to you about Ephesians 6, 16 this morning. If you're visiting with us, welcome. Uh, we're glad you're here. We've been preaching through Ephesians now for just over a year. Can you believe that? It's, it's been a year. Uh, I've loved this. I've loved our time in Ephesians. For the last few weeks, we've been focusing in on, on chapter 6 and the spiritual armor of God. And as, as we come to the shield of faith today, I'm, I'm becoming increasingly convinced that Charles Spurgeon is right. This is what he said. Like the Spartans, every Christian is born a warrior. It is your destiny to be assaulted. It is his duty to attack. Part of your life will be occupied with defensive warfare. You will have to defend earnestly the faith once delivered to the saints. You will have to resist the devil. You will have to stand against all his wiles and having done all, still to stand. So Christian, this morning, do you know you're at war? Perhaps you have a fresh awareness of that war even this week. If we could see each other as we truly are, not as husbands and wives, not just as, as, as friends, not just as brothers and sisters. If we could see ourselves as we truly are, I think we'd be shocked and encouraged. We'd see brothers and sisters around us with deep spiritual wounds, thorns in our flesh and battle scars in our hearts. And if we had eyes to see each other as we truly are, we'd also see the fulfillment of Jesus' sermon in Luke 4. We'd see former prisoners of war now experiencing liberty. Some who were once blind by the enemy who can now see. And those who were oppressed now living in the freedom that can only come from the victory of Jesus Christ. If we had eyes to see each other as we truly are. Believer, you are not at war with flesh and blood not against an opposing political party, not against a Supreme Court vacancy. You're not at war with a morally corrupt culture. You're not at war with your spouse, your children, or even your boss. But the war you are in deeply impacts every single one of those areas. And because our war is spiritual in nature, that actually makes it more real, not less. So let me pray, and we'll read Ephesians 6 and see the nature of this, of this war. Father, we ask you to give us eyes to see that you would enlighten our hearts this morning to the hope that we have in Christ, to the immeasurable greatness of the power that you have towards those who believe. Father, expose our faith, test our faith, strengthen our faith, ultimately convince us that we are resting in Christ's faithfulness on our behalf. Help us see it and believe it this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So we'll start in Ephesians 6, and I'll read 10 through 17, but again, we're, we're concentrating on verse 16 this morning. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God 
that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and the shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. This is the word of God this morning, brothers and sisters. The main idea I want us to see in verse 16 is this. Since the faith God gives us is a shield, it protects us when the evil one attacks. Just restating verse 16. Since the faith God gives us is a shield, it protects us when the evil one attacks. So we'll approach this by asking three questions. What what is the shield of faith? When do we use it? And how do we use it? What's the shield of faith? When do we use it? And how do we use it? So let's, let's start with this picture that, that Paul gives us. I mean, what do you picture when you hear the word shield? For me, we're probably influenced a little bit by Captain America. Some of us in Maryville say Captain America, right? And, and we're used to seeing this. I looked it up because it's a little bit nerdy on this stuff, but two and a half meter in diameter round shield, okay? That's not big enough. <laughs> that's not the shield that's happening in, in verse 16, Okay, that's a, that's a small shield that sometimes is, is even called a buckler. We heard that in Psalm 91 this morning. It's meant for up-close, personal, hand-to-hand combat. Our shield, though, it's stureos. I'm not asking you to remember the Greek. I just want you to know it's a different word. It's the large shield that you see pictured there, at least four and a half feet tall, at least two and a half feet wide, oblong. Some of them had four corners, big as a door. The purpose of the size, though, it was to protect the whole soldier. These shields were often covered with animal skins, lined with metal, and soaked in water for one purpose, to extinguish the flaming arrows shot at the soldiers underneath. So the point, the point of Paul's metaphor here is to show us, to tell us that our faith is a shield. A shield may not be the first thing you think of when you hear faith. So we need to define it. We need to understand it. We need to know what faith is. We know how the world looks at faith, right? It's fuzzy. It's sentimental. It's generic. It's, it's faith and faith itself. That the just believe and it will happen. If you have enough hope, you can, you can make it happen. This type of feel-good faith, we'll call it just believism. That type of faith, it's, it's better defined as wishing. And brothers and sisters, biblical faith is not wishing. It's, it's this generic just believism that, that paves the way for militant atheists like Richard Dawkins to say, faith is a cop-out. The great excuse to evade the need to think and evaluate evidence, faith is belief in spite of, even perhaps because of, the lack of evidence, according to Dawkins. And if Dawkins is talking about just believism, he's absolutely right. 
That type of faith for faith's sake would shield you from nothing. It's worse than weak. It's dangerous. But that's not how the Bible describes faith. Biblical faith is not a leap. It's not blind. So what is it? I want to give you three words here. Okay, I'm not, we're not going the, the Latin version. I'm going to give you three words that start with an A so you can remember it. Awareness, agreement, and action. This makes up biblical faith. With awareness, we have to know about Jesus in order to believe in him. There's, there's nothing fuzzy or sentimental about Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 saying, if Jesus is not resurrected from the dead, you, you should be pitied. It's, your faith is pointless if he's not resurrected from the dead. In the same chapter, he gives us reasons to believe with the early church creed that Jesus appeared to more than 500 eyewitnesses, most of whom were still alive at the time, so you can go check with them if you don't believe him. The first step of faith in Christ is knowing about him. His life, his death, his resurrection. The second is agreement. So once there's awareness, there's knowledge about Jesus, the next step of faith is to affirm, to actually agree. I agree that that's true. That's conviction. Not just knowing, but agreeing and being convinced that what you know is true. The third one is action. Awareness of and agreement that Jesus is the Son of God, that gets you as far as the demons, according to James 2. They believe and they shudder. The final piece of biblical faith, this is active. And brothers, this, this, is, this is one of the reasons that, that I'm, I'm cautious, concerned with, with putting my faith in a prayer. But those, those are words. That's, that's an agreement. The active part of faith is, is different. This is an experience of actually entrusting yourself to Jesus, reliance upon him, confidence in him. Biblical faith is not a sentimental feeling, but a bold action. I, I think of Acts 25 and 26. I don't know if you can see it, but, but Paul's in chains. And, and he's talking to King Agrippa, to Festus, to Bernice, to prominent men in the city. There's not fear there. There's boldness in sharing the facts about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He tells the king, you know about the things that happened here because it didn't happen in a corner. You're aware of it. That's boldness. So I, the, the righteous shall live by faith. This is an ongoing Romans 1.17 situation. I'm not trying to be difficult. I'm not trying to make the concept of faith complicated. Listen, does a soldier examine his weapon before he goes into battle? Yes, yes he does. Now, I verified this with Mark, and now we're not talking about soldiers, we're talking about Marines. Marines are capable. I asked him, like, do, do you guys really blindfold yourselves and, like, take apart the weapon, you know, in, in the dark? No, that doesn't make sense to do. That's Hollywood. But could they do it? Yes, because they are prepared. They know that thing inside and out. They've examined it. They have complete confidence in it. An unexamined faith, a blind faith, a leap of faith, none of those are worth having. So the, the one time I did the, the leap of faith at Camp Arrowwood, okay, the, the only time, I think that's the, the next slide here. It's not me jumping off, but I want you to see this. this this is a high ropes course. This is a telephone pole, 40 feet in the air, 
okay? And you're, you're strapped in with a harness. But when I jumped, it, it wasn't a blind leap. I had many assurances from Seth, even from standing up on the top. Is this thing going to work? Is this going to hold me? I had his experience. I'm thinking, all right, I know outside people have to come in and verify this thing and make sure it's safe. I know Seth and his team verifies that the equipment works. Moreover, I'd watched other people jump and not die. That was a big deal. Okay. The harness, man, to watch the video, I'm sitting there over and over, yanking, yanking, yanking on that thing to make sure. And then I jumped. Not blind, not a leap. So faith is both confidence in God and an ongoing act of relying upon God. Our, our faith is only ever as good as the object in which we place it. Misplaced faith, the wrong shield, that's, that's a difference in, in getting burned or the flaming attack being extinguished. Listen, all, all three components of faith are critical when it comes to who or what we place our faith in. So where are you looking this morning? What shield do you, do you reach for? Who or what are you placing your faith in? If, if your faith is in your feelings about God, that's a false shield. You may never feel like you once felt about God. That doesn't change who He is or what He's done for you. Thank God biblical faith does not look to our shifting emotions, but to the unchanging rock of Christ. Listen, it, it, as lame as this analogy is, I'm going to share it anyway. Okay, right now I am eating by faith. I still don't have all my taste and smell back. And I've been over the COVID for five weeks, six weeks. I'm ready to have my taste and smell back. But do I stop eating because it doesn't taste like it once did? No. I keep eating, trusting that the food is for my good, trusting that it will nourish me even though I can't taste it. Brothers and sisters, if, you were, if your faith is in your strength... That's a false shield. Now, this one may seem obvious, but, but are you trusting in your strength to maintain your faith in Christ? Or are you trusting in the Spirit of the living God? We are all so prone to self-reliance. We can even turn, I mean, we've been laboring this. This is God's armor. It's been given to you. Jesus wore it first for you. But we're, we're tempted to to look at the armor of God as, as self-reliance, introspection. We, we can turn sanctification into how well or how poorly we're keeping our own laws of spiritual discipline on any given day. But brothers and sisters, did we receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? That's the question. Will we now try to perfect by our own efforts what was given to us by the Spirit? Dugan puts it like this. I love this quote. The Spirit has no interest in turning you into independent creatures who can stand in your own strength. Rather, He wants us to see clearly the reality that we have no power within ourselves to take up the shield of faith and stand unless God Himself empowers us to do it. So before we discuss the how, then, let's, let's look at what verse 16 has to say about when. When do we use the, the shield of faith? Let's look at 16 one, one more time. 
I want you to listen for all. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. There's our clue. All circumstances, all the flaming arrows. Our faith in Christ is a shield in all circumstances, every facet of life. We can see this clearly in, in pain. When, when we reach out to God, we cry out to him in pain and suffering. We know all throughout Scripture we are not promised to be shielded from pain and suffering, but that Christ will be our shield in pain and suffering. Consider the opposite end of the spectrum. If we're thinking all circumstances, all the way to the other end, pleasure. Consider that in, in those times we take up our shield of faith. When you enjoy a walk, a meal, when you watch a thunderstorm, as you feel the, the warmth of a friend's smile, when you watch your child take his steps for the first time, when your endorphins pump on a run, when you actually have a good night's sleep, when the project is completely done, in times of pleasure, spiritual warfare, that could be the furthest thing from your mind. But I want to encourage you, acknowledge God in those moments. He gives you those gifts. Think on him. Here's what's happening as you treasure God in all circumstances. By the Spirit, by grace, you're training your heart and mind to reflexively turn to God during pleasure, during pain, and everything in between. This better prepares you to take up the shield when the attacks come. So how do we, how do we figure out the, the flaming arrow? Because when I look at verse 16 and I read dart, I kind of scratch my head because I don't know about you, but when I hear dart, I think of playing a game with Berkwist or Bowerman and it's this little thing that zing right to the bullseye. Okay, I, think, I think of a game. The word dart minimizes what's actually happening here. This word is better translated as missile, spear, javelin, or arrow. The threat increases when the end of the arrow is dipped in pitch and set on fire. The threat increases as that arrow hits. The idea there is that the arrow is actually equipped with fire. The point is that once it lands, it keeps burning. So this is vivid language. It's meant to show us how the devil attacks He's vicious. These missiles hurled in battle are, are meant to terrify, scatter, maim, and kill the opposition. So picture that fiery arrow, and let's turn to the spiritual equivalent. You'll recall from Ephesians 2 that we're up against three enemies in spiritual warfare. Okay, the world, our own sinful desires, and the prince of the power of the air, Satan. So many of us can identify the enemy within we can see our own sinful tendencies, but we're not sure about the, the enemy who attacks from the outside. So I want to give you two ways to identify this. One would be the out-of-nowhere attack, and the second would be the inflaming attack. The first one out of nowhere, except it's not out of nowhere. It's straight from the evil one. I want you to think about a time where you were in prayer, where you were in the Word, perhaps even in, in worship here, moved, experiencing the, the presence of, of Christ 
in, in a fresh way, in, in a deep way. You're aware of your faithfulness and his faithfulness to you. Maybe even singing a song to the Lord when a vile or disgusting image or idea just pops in your head. A thought enters your mind. It's so gross that it makes you question if you're actually a Christian. I talked to several different people this week. My wife says, I have no idea what you're talking about. I'm thankful to God if that has never happened to you. Talk to multiple men who are like, I thought I was the only one. A vile image that pops in your head that makes you even question if you're a Christian. Brothers and sisters, that's a flaming arrow. It came from the outside, not from within. Your mind was far from anything like that gross thing, and it just shows up. You can be sure that that disruption was not random, but straight from hell. Satan hates the times where you become more deeply aware of your faith and the goodness and mercy of God. It's when he loves to attack. Brothers and sisters, this is not a time to to doubt your faith. If that image comes into your mind, I, I, I think about Martin Luther here. He's the one who said that temptation, like a bird, flies over your head. You choose if it makes a nest in your head or not. Okay, So that temptation, that thought, God, that's not from you. Please protect me from this temptation. Second, the, the inflaming attack. So the devil's a, a judo expert. I looked that up to make sure that, you know, I wasn't misaligning, misnomer there with, with the knights. I want to make sure I'm not giving jujitsu a bad name because that's more grappling and on the ground, I think. But judo being more of uh, throwing, tossing, using the uh, opponent's energy and movements against him. He uses our own weaknesses, our own sinful tendencies against us. So think for a minute. Imagine his expertise. Here's a creature who's been studying mankind for eons. He, he knows our motives. He, he knows the things that, that we want. He, he figures out ways to tempt and attack. Don't, don't underestimate in this regard. One of his schemes is to convince us he poses no real threat. Spiritual warfare, that's, that's basically kind of less real than any of your day-to-day priorities. So I'll share a, a personal example of what this inflaming attack looks like. I'm open with you all about dealing with depression. I don't try and hide that. I want to say clearly that depression is not sinful. There should be no stigma, especially within the church, about mental health. My point in sharing this is for us to see how Satan will attack where we are weak a little over two years ago, I was floundering. I, I was past struggling. I was just waiting at this point for the darkness to pass. Now, I'm thankful to God that, that most of the time when I deal with depression, I am not thinking in terms of, of self, self-harm. But this time, while I was in the worst of it, there were some thoughts that came to me that were, that were crystal clear. There were thoughts that you are doing harm to this church as a pastor. Thoughts I've never considered before. You are damaging this body of believers. Heather and the kids are worse off because you are in their lives. People would be better off if you were gone. 
Now, the terrifying thing about this is at the moment that these thoughts are coming to me, they seem completely rational, completely clear and true. Once I got some distance from from the situation, the fog cleared, I, I realized that those thoughts were flaming arrows. The enemy attacked me where I was already weak and inflamed that weakness against me. I'm so thankful for my brothers in Christ, my wife who could see what was going on and shielded me when I couldn't shield myself. That is the power of brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm getting ahead of myself because that's into the how. So let's, let's talk about that. How do we use the shield of faith? How do we take it up? So we learn by doing. We do this together, and Jesus is our shield. This is the active part of faith. Not just knowing, not just agreeing, but actively taking hold of the Father's promises, the Son's protection, and the Spirit's power. Well, these overlap, but I want you to get that the Trinity is about shielding you from the evil one. And here's what I mean. The fiery arrow is shot. You identify it as an attack to inflame a weakness. Maybe you struggle with, with jealousy and envy. Maybe that jealousy flares when your friends get together and, and you're not invited. Envy sparks in your heart when you start circling and circling and circling in your thoughts about how they must be eating and drinking and laughing and enjoying good conversation. I may or may not struggle with this. (laughs) Embers of anger, they keep growing, envy glowing as you're mulling over what your friends have that you don't. This is it. This, This is the point of temptation. Recognize it. As your thoughts circle and flames grow, you have a choice. Brothers and sisters, be sure that not acting is still a choice. It will still have consequences. That flaming arrow will continue to burn. As a Christian who's been given God's armor, you take up the shield of faith. You you take hold of a promise from the Father that answers and extinguishes that flaming attack. We've been in Ephesians, so you you turn back to Ephesians 4. You're thinking, and paraphrasing here, but you recognize jealousy and envy that belong to a former way of life, that belong to the old man. And you think, the Father has given me a new self, created after his own likeness. Help me believe it. Your mind turns to the protection that you have from John 15, 13. And you think, I've never had a truer friend than Jesus Christ. He loves me. He laid down his life for me. You plead and you pray, Ephesians 3, 16 and on. Holy Spirit, strengthen me. By your power, convince me that Jesus dwells in my heart. Root me and ground me in his love, not the fickle approval of man. Please convict me. Protect me from these sinful thoughts and feelings I'm having. Help me want to confess this sin. Help me turn away from it and turn towards you. Jesus, you've set me free to assume the best about my friends, not the worst. In Jesus' name, amen. That's battle. That's picking up the shield. 
when you take up the shield of faith, you are availing yourself of the immeasurable greatness of the promises, protection, and power of the triune God of the universe. Flaming arrows stand no chance. But brothers and sisters, this is where like, the, the tension I feel in this text is it, it, it's absolutely true that this armor is God's armor. Every indicative, every truth, every promise is true for you if you are a believer. And how will you become more and more convinced of these truths? How will they protect you? You do not pick up the shield in your own strength. You don't pick up the shield in order to prove your faith. It's been given to you as a gift. So brothers and sisters, use it. Pray, read the word, Sit under the preached word, sing the word, ask the Spirit to fill your mind and heart with truth from the word, and by his power, you actively choose to believe God's promises will protect you and that they have the power to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. How do we use the shield? Together. One of the most important aspects of the spiritual armor is is to remember, he, this, this was written not, not to individuals, but to the church. Now, it's tempting when we get to the armor of God to picture ourselves as a lone soldier trying to work up our courage, standing at our post no matter what. Well, one, remember from 610, you're, you're standing in the strength of the Lord, His might. And two, solo, that's, that's not how this armor thing works at all. Think back again to chapter 4, right after all the promises that we were given. The first thing that Paul is pointing us to when we're walking in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called is unity. Unity. We've been given one body, one Lord, and one faith, given one spirit, in 4.13, the whole point of Jesus giving the church apostles, teachers, evangelists, pastors, and elders was to mature them into the unity of faith. Simply put, our, our shields of faith are meant to work together. Brothers and sisters, just think of the, the glee of the enemy when, when shields are supposed to work together and we turn them on each other. Add to the list of things you never thought you would say in 2020. I'm judging this brother or this sister for wearing a mask or not wearing a mask. Know for sure that the division that is brought into the church over an issue like that is straight from Satan. Paul has been pulling this, this imagery of the armor of God straight from Isaiah 59. At the same time, he's familiar with and sometimes held captive by Roman soldiers. So he's got their armor, their training, and their strategies. He watches it. He understands it. He's referencing it. So I want us to see how this, this strategy of unified shields, how it actually functions. Now, Roman soldiers would come together to create, and it doesn't sound intimidating, but it looks intimidating, a, a, a turtle formation. And this would, this would allow them to move into battle, to be protected 
Now, I can't recommend this movie, but this, this clip captures the strength and the protection of the shields working in unity. You don't mind showing that? So they're, they're able to be defended and move forward in unity. Taking up our shields of faith together, it, it, it protects us. The shield of faith not only protects you, but it, it protects the brother or sister next to you, the brother or sister in growth group with you, the child that belongs to you. All, all of us have blind spots. I mean, there, there will be times where some of us are hit by a fiery arrow, from the enemy, and we will need a brother or sister to drag us under his or her shield for a little while. You shield your brother when, when he's tempted to, ta- to doubt that God is good. And you say, no, no, don't believe that lie. We protect one another from false teaching as we contend together for the faith from Jude verse 3. that is once and for all delivered to the saints. We're pointing each other to the truth of who Jesus is. There are many ways that our shields of faith work together to protect us as there are blessings in Christ. Brothers and sisters, the purpose of a shield is to protect us so we can fight. This is spiritual warfare. Brothers and sisters, I'm tempted sometimes to just kind of use my shield like a a blankie. Just kind of grab it. I love this faith that, that I'm personally sharing. Just you and me, Lord, and just kind of snuggle up, go to sleep, take a nap. There are times to rest in your faith, but there are times to fight. It is in the unity of our shields of faith that the church advances on the gates of hell. You, you can wrap up every pre-battle speech from Aragorn to Maximus to William Wallace. Those words are nothing compared to the presence of the Holy Spirit empowering us as we, by faith, stir one another up to love and good works. It is by faith, through the power of the Spirit, that we advance together in becoming more like Christ. It is together we make war on our sin as we fight to enjoy Christ more than twisted, hollow pleasures. What could possibly strike more fear into the heart of the enemy than to see a wall of Christian warriors marching in the unified victory under the banner of Jesus Christ? What a picture of the church. That's what we're seeing all through this book. Here's who you are. You're not just the bride of Christ. You are a warrior fighting in his victory. Our shield of faith is is standing on the faithfulness of Christ, that victorious warrior. Again, this, the emphasis of this verse is, is take up. Take up the shield, the action of entrusting ourselves to the promises, the protection, and the power. But if the emphasis is, is only on what we must do over what Christ has done, we will end up in despair, self-righteousness, and hypocrisy. 
We end up saying, my shield looks a lot better than your shield. I'm going to go hang out over here with a good-looking shield. We'll end up in all sorts of wrong places if we're trusting in ourselves and our own strength. As they marched off to battle, Spartan mothers used to tell their soldier sons and husbands, come back with your shield or on it. Meaning, come back in victory or come back dead from trying. The pressure was squarely on them and their performance in battle. The beauty of the gospel, though, as Dugan puts it, is this. Your victory over sin belongs to Jesus, not you. Jesus' struggle was a decisive one, not yours. Every single time we are victorious over sin and the devil, it's because we are under the shield of Jesus Christ's faithfulness on our behalf. Jesus always took refuge in his Father. Therefore, we can take refuge in him. The Spirit has been pressing this into us from the beginning of this book. Go all the way back to Ephesians 1.3. All of the blessings, the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ in the heavenly realms. So as we wrestle against spiritual forces of evil in those same heavenly realms, 6.12, we do so under the victory that we already have because of our union with Christ. But what about faith specifically? Look at 1.1. Ephesians 1.1. We can so often cruise right over an introduction. But look who Paul is writing this letter to. To the saints, not their choice, God's choice, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in, in Christ Jesus. It does not say faith, saints faithful to Christ Jesus. That would put the emphasis on them. It says in Christ Jesus, meaning that even our faithfulness flows out of our union with Christ. We forever stand on and are shielded by Jesus' faithfulness on our behalf. So as we close, know, know that for now the battle rages even though the war has been won. We fight knowing that God has given us his armor and we are able to stand in the strength of his might. But brothers and sisters, there will be a day when the trumpet blasts and the war will be over. Brothers and sisters, there will be a day when the one who relentlessly hurls flaming arrows at you, will himself be hurled into the lake of fire. There will be a day when death will be defeated, every wound healed and every scar redeemed. There'll be a day when we hang up the shield of faith because faith will have become sight. At that time, we will sing songs, brothers and sisters. We will tell tales forever about the warrior who rode to victory on a white horse, the one whose name is actually faithful and true, the King of kings and Lord of lords. We'll sing about him forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the victory that you have given your son over every ruler, dominion, principality, every demon, every flaming arrow, your, your son is our shield.
Father, we thank you for the blessing of our union to your Son. Father, I pray that you would help us to see that the faith that you've given us, the, the gift, that it's, it's your armor. Father, cultivate us in a, a desire to, to be in your word, to soak in the truths of who you are and what you've done. Father, we, we bless your name. We praise your name for the victory that you have won. Help us live in light of it. In Jesus' name, amen.